Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 33. Glad you can make it. In this episode, Hope and Bonnie interview one of Colby's most beloved and inspirational teachers, Mrs. Kelly Powers. A talented mathematician and a superb communicator of her subject, Mrs. Powers is also the chair of the math department and organizes our annual talent show and Christmas concert each year. Without Mrs. Powers, Colby Academy would not be what it is today, and I'm so glad she joined us for this recording. Enjoy. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. Today we're visiting with Mrs. Kelly Powers, who is the math department chair for the Colby Online Academy. Thanks for coming to the Colby cast, Mrs. Powers. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. I'm really glad it's that we get the turn to talk to you. I really enjoyed your conversation with Dr. Almanzar earlier. When was that? I've lost track of time now, <laughs> earlier in the year. Uh, last March or April, when we all first started this online schooling world. Uh, our yeah, our alternate reality, sure. Well, we are looking forward to visiting with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? So I um, knew I was destined to be a math teacher from my first year at the University of Georgia when I was told that I was stupid for the way I chose to do a calculus problem by the instructor and walked out of that classroom and went and changed my major to mathematics education and just very much a God moment uh, in my life. I spent the next several years going, this isn't what I came to college to do. How, how am I leaving with this degree? But suddenly didn't have the time like I did that day to up and change my major. And so it's been a beautiful ride. I, I worked in the brick and mortar school for quite a while. And while I was there specialized in helping kids going into special ed and those kids that were coming out of the special ed program, um, so, and also taught a lot of computer programming. And then as luck would have it, uh, eight and a half years ago, Miss Megan Lingle hunted me down through a mutual friend when she decided she wanted to start this online academy. And she was like, come teach for me. It'll be great. We have no idea what we're doing, but we're going to figure it out. Um, <laughs> so eight years later, here we are. I definitely think that we figured it out. And I'm very proud and pleased to be part of the Colby family and the Colby community. Uh, it's just so wonderful to be able to serve both my two vocations, both as to my family. And I've always truly felt like teaching is a vocation, but I've been called to God to do this. I'd say you figured it out quite well and it continues to build. And I know yeah. that you've had a lot to do with that. In addition to teaching math for the online academy and chairing that department, you also put together the annual talent show, right? Can you tell us more about that? So, yes, once again, Megan Lingle. Uh, she and I went out to lunch one day, and I had just seen my godchildren perform in their talent show. And uh, I mentioned over lunch at a Cuban restaurant. I said, why don't we have a talent show? We have so much talent at our school. We could do this. And the next day she sent me a, okay, so this is the day we're going to do it. Here's what you need to make it happen. And uh, I can't wait to see it. 
And I was like, I, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, she had a date and time and Schoology page set up. And I mean, if nothing else, I think my life's a testament to the fact that I'm not very good at saying no to Megan Lingle. So there you go. We, we held a talent show. And then it was such a big, huge hit. Uh, later that fall, uh, Mary Rolls was like, that talent show was so great. We should have a Christmas concert. So Megan, I see her the next day and she's like, Mary loved the talent show. She thinks we need a Christmas concert. So uh, here's the days that I'm thinking we should do it because we can't do it too early to do liturgically. And so next thing I knew, I was running a Christmas concert as well. So those have been greatly enjoyed. Yeah. This is what we call voluntelling around here when (laughs) when there's a little bit of enthusiasm and then there's a push to make it happen. And it is a little bit cattywampus in the moment. And then it all hopefully usually turns out great. So. I think that's Definitely. always it's fun to hear how those yeah. work out. Those are fun stories, kind of like, what happened here? But look how beautifully it turned out. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm thinking I'm probably not the only one wondering how do online math classes work? How does an online talent show or Christmas concert work? Yeah. Have you been asked that quite a lot? You know, people, yes. So people are mesmerized that it's live. There, I'm like, no, 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 I have a webcam. My students can see me. I'm teaching. They're asking me questions. I'm putting up a practice problem. They're working it. And I'm saying, you know, Bonnie, I think you're almost there. You just need to reduce your radical. Hope, look, you got X, but try Y again. Like, you know, I mean, it's instantaneously and we're working together and, and they're working together as a team. And that just floors people. They're like, it's like you interact with them. Like, yeah, I interact with them. Like, you know, what do you, what do you think? I'm just teaching to a wall. So, and I do think that some people think that, you know, that's how all online education is. And I know a lot of people do that. And we have our self-paced program. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had students of mine who have done the self-paced as well. And I always tease them. And I'm always like, is live Miss Powers as entertaining as recorded Miss Powers? And, you know, so I think that that's probably the biggest shocker is when I tell people that it is, in fact, live and I interact and I can see the students and they can see me. That just is mind blowing to them. It sounds like your classes are quite lively, too. You sound like a teacher with high expectations, but also a high uh, level of engagement and and fun in the classroom. I definitely try for that. That is that is the goal. You know, number one, it's safe space when you come into my classroom. It is a place that you can make mistakes. Uh, we are all a team. We just did an activity uh, yesterday. We were playing this lightning round and I put up a picture and they had seven seconds to try and scream at their computer screen the right answer. And they had to keep <laughs> track of how many they got right and wrong. And I had a little pull pot up and you checked like still all perfect, you know, one wrong, two wrong. And then the last one was, I can't count that high. Like when she reached a point or when she was that many. And at the end of it, probably one of the best parts was a couple kids had made it to the, you know, can't count that high. And one kid said, I love the fact that we're all okay admitting when we make mistakes in this class. Um, you know, they all owned up to it. And that that is an environment that fosters learning and uh, we grow from our mistakes. So that is also the goal in my classroom. That's so valuable. 
I've heard it said we learn more from our mistakes in many situations than we do from our successes. So here's a, a great example of that. And and so much humor that you bring, good good natured humor to the learning process, it really makes it go so much better. I would think it, it has stands a far better chance of sinking in and sticking and also being a, a pleasant experience in the in the meantime. For a long time, our dad had a framed picture in his office that said the way to have good ideas is to have a lot of ideas. And so it sounds like your classroom is a place to have lots of ideas and work through them and build on them. We have a lot of fun along the way too. We hear a lot of funny stories coming from your classes, from the what you bring to Catholic Schools Week and by way of funny hats or even every day, it seems like probably. I bet there's a certain curiosity your students have. I wonder how Mrs. Powers is going to come to class today. You're showing us some of your fun things you do to enliven the environment. So you also have had a hand in, in crafting the, some of the course plans for the math courses, right? What, what goes into writing a course plan? Um, countless hours, absolutely countless hours. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I built the geometry course plan from scratch. Um, you know, we had had the Jacobs geometry program, which we loved. Um, and I actually taught from, which is also kind of how Megan Lingle found me, was because I was teaching the Colby course plan for a homeschool hybrid in our local area. And it was a great course plan, but unfortunately, then they stopped printing the Jacobs book. And so we kind of got forced to pushing in a different direction. Our current course um, book, uh, I know it definitely has its ups and downs, but it, it, the draw was the classical approach. The fact that it offers so much opportunity of self-exploration for the students. Um, and so, you know, you have to take this amazing uh, opportunity of how this book is built with being a classical approach. But you also have to make sure that you're crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's. And look at the big picture of the fact of, you know, we are preparing high school students and most high school students are eventually taking the SAT. And what does the geometry portion of the SAT look like? And are we preparing our kids for that? I mean, you never wanna to teach to a test, right? On the flip side, you also wanna set people up for success on a path you know they're gonna go down. So, you know, so you really kinda of have to think about all of the different elements. You want it to be something that's gonna work for the families you know that are gonna use it. Um, you, we also wrote it the very first year that the online academy came out. So it was also a, how can we properly then transition this to an online setting? We knew a lot of hybrids used our course plans. What would it look like for them? So building all of these little pieces together and looking for the greater good was a lot of pieces to bring together. And, you know, I, I don't think that you ever get it right the first time. Right. So um, all of our course plans kind of become a work in progress. Uh, this year, the Colby Math Department actually is it's our year long goal to take every single one of our course plans and to write a uh, corresponding online course plan. So now we'll have the homeschooling course plan, but we'll have a second version of what that homeschool course plan looks like in the online setting. And in the process of doing that, we're really questioning some of the uh, pedagogy of how we are following through this. You know, particularly right now in math eight, 
we're really looking at is the order in which we're teaching these topics in the best long-term interest for where these kids are going to go next in algebra one and geometry and what strengths do they need and are we making that a priority or is it just kind of being added at the end and so we sat down and we revamped a lot of the pre-algebra curriculum this summer we're testing it out this year and if it works then we will make that change for the overall course plan so that you know our, our course plan is benefited as well we did that a couple of years in Algebra 1, and we really saw a benefit of changing some things around. Uh, with that being said, some questions have come up again this year about the Algebra 1. So it, it, you have to evolve. You have to change. Uh, I think, you know, just like how we talked about, right, the mistakes make you that much stronger if you give yourself the opportunity to grow and build on those mistakes. And that kind of also ties into the math class trope of showing your work right like understanding each step of the process and not just the final result of finishing math eight or whatever but really being intentional at each stage and if my eighth grade self heard me right now she'd probably disown me because there were some major arguments between our mom and me about me showing my work um especially in that like seventh to ninth grade area I think um I've learned slowly but surely and I think that that idea of showing your work like I talk about this on a lot of episodes I like the I like to find concepts that are like really specific to a particular area and also really broad and generally applicable and so this idea of intentionality from everything from your equations to like you said how you're looking at the whole scope of the course plans that sounds like a very broad but very worthwhile project that's that's really cool it has been fun and you know this year with the introduction of the elementary online program of course nicole o'connor is running that for us and she is brilliant and fantastic and as soon as i got told we were doing an online elementary academy i was like if nicole o'connor isn't running it why are we even doing it and they were like great news she is i was like all right then i'm in <laughs> so but on the flip side Math is not her gift. And so I've been invited to these meetings as we talk about the math curriculum. And it's been awesome. On the flip side, it's very much opened my eyes to the fact of I knew six through 12. Now really seeing how all of these elementary pieces build and get them ready for six through 12. It's been an excellent opportunity. And I think that being involved in that will add some benefit and strength because now I know things to look at as we look more closely at our middle school mathematics because we have a better idea of where these kids are coming from the elementary level. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And I think many folks can probably relate to the idea of being a little bit squicky, a little bit uncertain. That might be one of the sticking points to considering seriously whether or not to homeschool is. If I've heard it once, I've heard it how many countless times I, I can't teach math like that, that whole sense of, Ooh, this is a real deal killer to, to, to try to teach math as an offside. My husband teaches the math at our house. And we have a lot of conversations about the importance of showing one's work, especially with math and how it builds and builds and builds, how it might be easy enough right now to keep track of everything going on, but there will come a point when it is not. And how much brain space is freed up when you write things down so that you can continue to compute what you need to. Do you have a stock line or 
bit of encouragement for folks trying to cultivate the habit of showing one's work? Why is it important to you? Any kind of pep talk, words of wisdom bolstering for the folks who feel like they keep saying show your work over and over? You know, it's really hard to see in middle school. Case in point, you said seventh and eighth grade, Hope, what were the, the deal killers for you with the showing your work? And I think it is the middle school years, you know, um, and, and I think part of it is it's totally developmentally correct because middle schoolers, teenagers, right, they're trying to kind of create their own identity, their own place. Uh, they're not big fans of you telling them what they're supposed to do. They're trying to exert the people that they feel like they are. Um, and, you know, I think definitely probably one way to act that out is I don't need to. I don't need to do it. And the problem becomes, truthfully, you want a tagline? My tagline is Algebra 2. Algebra 2 always is where it seems to be coming, where it all comes crashing down. Um, it, you know, because that is when we first do math problems that take an entire page. And, you know, I say to my Algebra 2 students, I'm like, I have a degree in mathematics. I have done this longer than you have been alive. And I still had to write some steps down. Do not tell me you were able to do it all in your head. Like, it's just not humanly possible. So Algebra 2 is where it all comes crashing down. Those are when we really take all of the things that we learned throughout middle school and in Algebra 1, and, and it's so amplified. And then we move them in and get them ready for trig and pre-calculus. And it, it's just, yes, Algebra 2 is the explosion point. And so I don't know magically what we can say. Like I said, I know developmentally it's just appropriate to have that pushback and everything. But I definitely think that just instilling the skill and, you know, just like with all things in life, right, there you've got to do a consequence if the person doesn't do what they're supposed to do. And when all else fails, I think, you know, if you are a homeschooler and you're a middle schooler, I think just pulling out that fourth uh, commandment, honor thy mother and father. Well, here it is, friends. This is just what we're going to do. Yeah, hard lessons, but necessary. Yeah. I think this middle school zone of math, where you're talking about this transition point with Algebra 2, where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, with the necessity of keeping track of so many things happening all at once. Is this about the time when you see the use of calculators coming in to be more and more necessary? So, and as if it's not hard enough already, difficult enough already with showing our work and come to grips with Algebra 2, then we also have to introduce a new tool around this time, right? Maybe not. Maybe it's been introduced already, the calculator. I can still remember my graphing calculator from my middle school years. It was, if we were to find it these days, we'd probably have a good laugh about it. It's probably giant by, by today's standards. Mine had a pink argyle cover over the keys. What? So I was stylish. <gasps> Well, I can remember it being a very big deal when we ordered our calculators at school. These graphing calculators, they were giant and they all looked the same. So, yeah, we did have to bedazzle ours a little bit, but not to that degree. Tell us, Mrs. Powers, about calculators, how their tools, how can we best use them? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because I will say that the calculator thing is a huge deal, particularly once you do enter into that middle school mathematics. And I think people fight it a little bit more than they should. You know, I, I, there is a huge benefit and need in doing calculations by hand in your head. It creates a value of number sense 
and number sense is just huge. I mean, if nothing else, when you go to the store, you want to know if you're getting ripped off, right? You want in your head for you to start um, doing the numbers and stuff. And you want to be able to look at something and recognize, you know, I tell my students all the time when we watch the news and we get reports, like we have to have a good knowledge of mathematics and statistics so that we can, you know, make our own decisions from the information that's being given. So number sense is huge and very, very important in mathematics. On the flip side, we reach a point in middle school mathematics in which we should have that strong number sense. And we have a whole lot of kids holding on tightly to the doing everything by hand, right? So this is entertaining that, you know, what kind of what brought us here was the kids who don't want to show the work. Really, the other group of people we encounter is I got to write every little thing by hand. And I think it's wonderful that you see a kid in seventh grade math who wants to do 216 times 57 by hand on the side of the paper. On the flip side, that is not really the knowledge and the point of seventh grade math pre-algebra. And if I'm going to get you prepared for algebra one and have you there, I need for my time and my focus to be on the new concepts I'm teaching you, not becoming time intensive with topics that you really already have a grasp and understanding. Now we have the opportunity to use this tool. So, you know, I, I think it becomes a lot like when we first teach our children how to cut their food, right? We initially are going to cut it up for them. We're going to do that. Great. All right. Then we're going to give them a knife. We're not going to start out with like our fancy steak knives, right? We're going to give them maybe a nice butter knife, teach them the concept, but in a safe space, make sure they are set up for success. But eventually, right, we've got to be ready to give them something that's a little tougher that isn't going to work with the butter knife. And so we're going to set them up for success by giving them a tool that's going to let them take on this more challenging thing to, you know, cut up. And then you've got, right, maybe you teach woodworking. So now, once again, it's a step up. Um, and as we continue to grow, we need a tool that's going to grow with us. So really, by the time they get to math six, math seven, they should be learning how to use a calculator that does some of that simple number sense and the square root button for them. And then by the time they get to algebra and geometry, they need to have a calculator that allows them to do the more complicated things. Particularly in geometry, we introduce sine, cosine, and tangent. So it becomes very important for them to have those buttons. There's a whole lot of scientific calculators that are out there. Some scientific calculators, as I call them, are screen calculators. And so when you do something like sine, cosine, and tangent, you can type the button and the word comes up and then you can type the angle. You really want to teach your kids to work trigonometric with that kind of calculator. Calculators that don't have a screen that you type in the number and then you hit the sign button, that is not playing to a student's logical thought process. We never say 30 degrees sign. We say the sign of 30 degrees. So if your child is not able to put it in the calculator like that, if they're thinking you haven't set them up for success with this number sense.
So I always encourage people to look when you're making that bridge from a four function calculator to a scientific, get your child a screen so that they can actually view it. Just like we see that idea of showing your work on paper, you want something that allows you to see the work on the screen as well. That makes a lot of sense. You know, once they finally make to that big step to the big, huge calculator, right? The graphing calculator. In my classroom, we call it Albert because, of course, I'm an Albert Einstein <laughs> fanatic. You know, you have to remember, once again, not the idea of teaching to the test, but setting somebody up for success. Those kids are going to take this SAT if they are college bound. The SAT is a timed exam. And the SAT and the ACT, they expect you are showing up with that big, huge, monstrous graphing calculator. And so as somebody who is teaching the students this higher level mathematics, it then falls on the responsibility of me of teaching the students of how to use that calculator as a tool and let it do the work for you. You know, it's a don't work harder, work smarter. Like the higher level mathematics does not have to be sacrificed, but I can show them the benefit of what the calculator can do for them. And just like when I go into geometry and I teach my students how awesome it is that we can build the center of balance of a triangle, just like Euclid did with a compass and the straight edge, I can have the same amazing moments of self-discovery in mathematics topics by showing them the calculator. I taught my algebra students the idea of a negative by we examined on the graphing calculator what the graph of two to the x looked like. I was like, well, let's just, let's put in negative one. Let's just see what happens. And it took us to the point one half. I was like, huh, so we went from two to the negative one, and now it's one half. Well, I wonder what would happen if we put in negative two. And suddenly, through the graphing calculator, it wasn't a crutch. Now it is this tool of self-discovery. And they're like, oh my goodness, I see it. If it's like two to the negative three, it's going to be one over two to the third. You know, I mean, it's all in how you use it. And I think somewhere along the way, this calculator became a, you should be able to do it on your own. Well, no, like, and, and you know, I love that meme. Uh, they always said we wouldn't have a calculator in our pocket. We sure showed them. <laughs> like, that's the world we've now come yeah. into, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, right, and you're not so, doing any less math by using the calculator. Right. Yeah. You got to know how to use it. Right. Exactly. So I think that we have this amazing opportunity to embrace a wonderful tool that allows us to go so much further in mathematics. You know, in my geometry class, my attendees pod is called mini Euclid's for first semester. And at second semester, I changed the title and they're like, why aren't we mini Euclid's anymore? And I'm like, because now, you know, more than Euclid did. And they're like, what? Like, he created geometry. How can we know more than he does? And I'm like, because people were able to take his concepts and build further, right? Pythagoras came in and taught us all these amazing things about a right triangle. If we took what Euclid had and didn't take it any further, then we've 
we've made no progress. We've become stagnant. We've closed ourselves off. And I feel like it's the same way with the calculator. It opens up. If the calculator does this tool for you, now I have the opportunity to take you here. And that's a great place to go. I love that description of the technology supporting human exploration, especially now with social media and things like that. I think that kids are very quickly introduced to this kind of tension between using technology in a proper sense and certainly not shunning it, but then also not being beholden to it. And so by learning how to use the calculator, like you said, as a tool of self-discovery to get farther and farther, that is teaching them skills that they that are very applicable to their math and then also generally applicable to them as they go out into the world and navigate it more and more autonomously. And now you have me curious as to what you call them in the second semester after they've graduated from being mini Euclid's. Geometric geniuses. We switch second semester. I like it. Nice. Nice. I love this way you describe yourself. Trigonometric identities just make my heart happy. I love that. They really do. My students always, of course, you're a math teacher, they love to say, and I, I am I am totally 100% guilty of most of the times I'm like, oh, you guys are just going to love this. This is just my favorite when we get to a new topic. So I often get, so what really is your favorite? And trigonometric identities win every single day of the week. Uh, they're just little mathematical puzzles just waiting to be solved. And I just love them. You can't help but be intrigued by your enthusiasm. I'm sure the students are curious, like, look how fun she finds this. What's that all about? I'm sure that really helps draw them in and get them going on the same process. And it's really neat. I like hearing stories of teachers who build from a negative experience with a subject that they end up finding enthusiasm and excelling in. I had a law school professor who was my favorite professor, extremely well-prepared, engaging. You could tell that he really had a love of his subject. And when he told us about when he had taken the same subject, it was a very challenging course for him because of the way that the professor taught it and kind of similar issues to what you had described with your professor in college. So to hear his story of then excelling and, and really bringing to life a very complicated area of law to generations of law students. I can't imagine my law school without him, but then to hear his story and then to hear your story of going and, and changing your major and then finding things that you have such enthusiasm for along the way, that is quite a story. You know, I think that teaching is a, a great job. And, and I love the teaching math. I, I mean, I love math. I love how it all comes together. I'm one of those people that looks at something. I'm like, oh, my goodness, the symmetry in that is just absolutely gorgeous. Do you see all of the little shapes coming together just beautifully? But at the end of the day, uh, as much as I love teaching math, as I stated, it is a vocation for me. And it is also a mission for me to realize that we should all be around people that lead us to our vocation as well. And regardless of what your vocation is, if it truly is your vocation, you should do it with passion, love, and joy, and for the Lord. So, you know, I have this excellent opportunity to lead by example. 
of you come to my class and this is my vocation and how lucky am I to have another day to hang out and and be with you all and and that is the goal is to exemplify to them of when the Lord gives you a mission take it off but take it off with like a joyful heart and realize that you've been given this amazing gift and I recognize the amazing gift I was given when Megan Lingle hunted me down and convinced me to come and start this online academy with her. I I see the beauty and the joy and the benefit that it has put in every single day of my life. And I have this awesome opportunity to go out and encourage them to do the same. I think Father Mike Schmitz described vocation one time as, as it's not a sentence that's pronounced upon you, but it's a gift that you unwrap. And that sounds like you're living that out, Mrs. Powers. I, I'm blessed that I'm given that opportunity to do so. And, you know, uh, probably one of my favorite Bible verses is the talents, right? The, the guy who got the one talent and he went and buried it in his backyard, uh, the two, and he doubled it. I, I mean, I, I live my life trying very hard to be the guy that got the five talents and who made five more. And that follow-up in the Gospel of Matthew when it says, of much is given, much is expected, that is like the, if I were to sum up my life in one line, I feel like God has given me a lot. And so the expectation is high, and I'm going to work every single day to meet it. Right. It's meant to be used and cultivated and grown. Yeah. Certainly can see the fruits of that in your work. It's all be. I'm wondering if you have some tips or some favorite resources or words of encouragement for homeschooling families, especially those new to the homeschool life who have taken on math along with everything else this year. What would you say to them at this point or offer any, throw anything out that might be helpful, aces up your sleeve or anything to help them, especially if they find themselves just really hitting a wall with math or you know other subjects too, but particularly with math. So the number one thing that I always tell my students, and I always tell them as a math teacher, I'm allowed to say this. The most important thing that you learn every day is to read and write. If you can't read and you can't write, there is nothing you can do and truly be successful at it. Every single person has to have the ability to read and learn, and every single person has to have the ability to express themselves, usually through the written word. Even as a math teacher, I write all day long. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, an email to a student to make them understand a topic or to communicate something to a parent or a colleague or something. So probably the most important thing I would say to homeschooling families, as long as you were finding time for reading and writing in the day, I feel like the, the rest will come together. Of course, definitely want you to do mathematics as well. And I think as far as mathematics goes, I think as you approach mathematics in the younger years, it becomes so important to recognize that so much math can be learned in the extra moments. When my kids were little, we would go to the grocery store and we would walk up to the corn on the cob and I would be like, your father loves corn on the cob. We're going to have it two days this week. There's four of us in the family. How many corns of cob do I need to add to my bag? And I'd let them sit there and figure it. And then I'd add like three and I'd be like, okay, so you told me I needed eight corns of cob. I've added three. How many more am I going to need to add? 
like right right there you've taught the child subtraction and multiplication in the produce aisle we play board games all day long at my house in fact so much so that when we started the pandemic my husband said if you buy one more board game i'm cutting you off because we were buying new ones to keep ourselves entertained and occupied. So it was the first time that I almost lost privilege to the Amazon account. I had to ring it all back in. But, you know, there's so much benefit. You know, I mean, number one, you play Monopoly, whoever's the banker, it's math the whole game long. But it's also life skills. It's learning how to treat other people with charity. It's learning how to wait your turn. Um, it's learning how to pay attention to what's going on, even maybe if you're not the course of the action. Uh, I really be have become a huge fan of these cooperative games that have taken into the market of everyone working together and everybody strategizing a solution to get to the end. I'm sorry, but that's problem solving. That is math. OK, so you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Voila, you've just made word problems a whole lot easier. So I think reading, writing, and playing a ton of board games, and I think the rest will all come together. I would love to hear some of your favorites if you want to send us some or name any. So we're always into the Catan ones. We, we love all of the Catans. Uh, my personal favorite is Ticket to Ride. So I will say Azul is a new one that's come out and it's a tile pattern game. And I really, really like that. Um, I will say one benefit is it's like a four person max game, which is kind of a downfall, particularly if you have the larger family, but um, do really, really like it. Um, so my daughter will always pick to play card games over anything else. Uh, there is a game called Sky Joe, which is a card game. And it is based off of rows and columns. The terminology is seamless as we then move into our math lesson and we're building these mathematical arrays. So if you've got a second or third grader, get yourself a deck of Sky Joe and uh, have at it. It really it sets up quite nicely. Um, and it requires constant kind of adding the simpler numbers along the way. In addition, it's got minus cards. So now you've introduced negative numbers. So which is always a good concept to make sure that they understand. So yeah, I think those are the simple ones that kind of jump to the forefront in our mind. So my son is getting into those crazy, like big, huge, everybody's strategy and da 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 games like the Dungeons and Dragons and Betrayal, House on the Hill. I think you all can skip all of those. Those are just crazy, but stick to your basics of uh, good times and anything that involves money. I mean, that is life skills right there. And that is mathematics in the real world. Ticket to Ride and Catan are sitting next to each other on my bookshelf in my living room right now. Those are some of my favorites. Oops, good about playing games with the kiddos. That competitive dimension for me, I'm like, ooh. Games, let's do a puzzle instead. <laughs> well, playing games and cooking, because I love to cook, but I love to cook savory things mostly, or I don't like baking. I will make sweet things if they're more on the cooking side of things. And then Bonnie is more in, Bonnie's an excellent cook too, but she's more in the baking side. And so when I was being homeschooled, our mom would, would say that I was learning math skills as we were developing my cooking skills. And back then, I mean, this was in the 90s and early thousands. So back then, people were kind of 
skeptical of that, like, oh, really? But it it's true. So that was great to hear your example of the produce aisle. And even now I do um, all of my conversions, sometimes the simpler ones in my head, or I'm, I'm going to be even more not afraid to use a calculator now, thank you, um, to convert teaspoons, tablespoons, cups, um, scaling recipes up and down. And so those are fun and they don't, they don't even realize that they're learning because they're just fun. We want to make sure to be mindful of your time. So are there any topics that we haven't discussed yet that you would like to bring up before our time comes to an end today? You know, I, I don't think so. You know, you mentioned earlier the idea uh, that you were fine homeschooling except for the math. It's funny that you said that because I always said I could homeschool my children as long as somebody else taught them how to read. Um, Once they were good readers, then okay. Um, And sure enough, you know, we switched my daughter this year. She's in third grade. She's a rock star reader now. All right, I can take it from here. But the, the pressure of teaching somebody how to read, that was too much for this mathematical girl. So um, I, I think that, you know, just as you do do mathematics, if you're homeschooling in your household, um, I know some people have a not a great love of mathematics. Uh, but I, I definitely think that, you know, it becomes upon all of us as homeschoolers Um, to really rise up. I mean, there are some topics that I teach that I don't love, but I recognize that if I exude an attitude that doesn't show um, a love of that topic, then I am just as much teaching my child that as I am the topic that I'm teaching them. So um, just I would encourage everybody who, you know, embraces the homeschool community. There is great awesomeness in mathematics to be found. Um, and if you're wondering where to find it, um, I challenge you to watch Frozen. Um, if you do the Let It Go song, she says frozen fractals flying all around is one of the lines in that. Well, fractals are one of the coolest things in mathematics. And if it's about to snow wherever you live, this is an awesome opportunity. Pull your kids up the Mandelbrot set and show them the video of how it zooms in and shows the fractals. And talk about not only the amazing math, the Mandelbrot set comes from the building of the complex numbers, um, but it is also the awesomeness that God pays attention to build this beautiful fractal and creation. So you've got the awesomeness of God combined with the awesomeness of mathematics. You cannot beat that. So um, go out and find out just all of the coolness that mathematics has to show. Um, there, it, it is out there. And if you let it find and amaze you, it'll win you over in the end. All these are great ideas. Very helpful. And I think going back a little bit to the notions of games, card games, board games, baking, all these ways to work mathematics. Well, we don't even have to work at working them in. These are part of our everyday interactions, which is not to say we don't work on our academic mathematics courses. But I think sometimes if we are having a down day or we've hit the skid somehow on a homeschool day, playing games or baking something together is a great way to kind of get back on track or to step aside and just to regroup a little bit. And we're still working in those skills at the same time. So there's a lot, a lot of value to working this in and they certainly count, so to speak, for <laughs> making good use of the time. So. 
I love the enthusiasm that you have for it. It's really, can't, I can't help but draw from it and bring it with me to add to my own approach to our homeschooling subjects that I work on here at home with our kids. It's really been a, a pleasure and a joy visiting with you. Thank you so much for coming to visit with us. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.